Good morning. If you're here, I hope that means you're not sick. We've got a lot of people out this morning who are sick. Matter of fact, Pastor texted me last night and asked me if I was well because we've got so many that are sick. And I told him I am well and I'm mad that so many people are sick. Kiddos, uh, now would be your time to get up and make your way over to our pastor over in this, this corner. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts 19. I hope that your holidays went well. I hope you got everything that you wanted for Christmas. Excuse me while I unpack here. I'm afraid I might get uh, just too sweaty wearing that. Sorry about that. Uh, I hope you got everything that you wanted, and I hope that your holidays um, was an enjoyable time where you got to spend time with your family and your friends, and I hope that it was good enough to override what happened yesterday. Okay, so I am amongst a few Sooner fans, this is for sure. Uh, today, I want to share a few things with you. Um, I'll tell you up front what we're looking at, because I don't typically do a three-point sermon. Matter of fact, all of my sermons are pointless. There you go. All right, I didn't know if you'd catch that or not, but either way, I like to just walk through the Scriptures and talk as we go. Uh, before we get into the Scriptures, I'd like to tell you about one of my hobbies, one of my favorite things to do. I love to read and to listen to books sermons and stuff like that, but um, specifically, one of my favorite pastimes is to read biographies, It's to read about people, those who have gone before us, those who have uh, already lived the things that we're going into, and uh, those who made it out alive, I like to say, um, that give us hope. Uh, I would say that probably my favorite biography to read uh, is one of a man named John Wesley. You might have heard of him. He's, he's kind of famous, but he's been gone for a while. Um, John Wesley was uh, 15th child out of 19. Very large family. John's daddy was a preacher, pastor, and so John had always been in church, literally. He was born in church, and uh, they lived in church at times as well. And John never knew anything but Christianity, if you will. Uh, when John was pretty small, um, him and a couple of his siblings shared a room in the attic. I know that sounds weird, but uh, they shared a room in the attic, and uh, at one particular time, the house caught on fire. And uh, to kind of separate things in the room, they had a curtain around their bed. Well, everybody got out and forgot about John. And when they all got outside and started looking around to see who was there, John was missing. And the house was engulfed in flames, and nobody was going to go back in after him. And they uh, literally just um, began to pray and commit his spirit to the Lord. And about that time, John makes his way to the window 
and starts beating on the window, and one of the neighbors sees him, and either way, he was saved. Uh, some people stood on top of uh, shoulders upon shoulders to be able to reach the window, and they got him out. And when they got him out, uh, they just had this sense that, you know, he should have died in that fire, but he did not die in that fire. Therefore, God must have something special laid out for this young man. And uh, the family was immediately split up because there were so many of them, no one person could house all of them. So until a house could be built back, uh, the kids went different directions, and then they all came back. And, uh, and the part I love about his biography says that his mother began to reform her children from the things that they picked up living with other people, right? So uh, John grows up and uh, goes to college, goes to Bible college, Oxford. Uh, John goes to seminary. John is ordained and wants to go to the mission field, uh, a mission field called America. You might have heard of it. Happens to be where we live. Well, uh, John got on a boat and made his way across the ocean, and on his way across the ocean, they had this terrible storm. This storm was really, really bad and scared almost everybody on the boat to the point of death. They all thought that they were going to die, but there was a group on the boat who didn't care if they died. We know them as the Moravians. I'll come back to them in a minute. But fear of death began to plague John Wesley. And as he got off the boat, made his way to the place that he was going to uh, evangelize the Indians, if you will. That's what he came here for. He soon found out that he wasn't going to be able to evangelize the Indians and that he was going to be a pastor. And he was a little disappointed at this because he came to evangelize the Indians. Well, um, John's first pastorate, and this is where I identify with him uh, all too well, was anything but good and smooth. It went uh, very rocky, and it was very short. Before John's two-year anniversary, um, he resigned and set sail back home. And in two years, he lost the girl that he wanted to marry to someone else. He made one of the prominent families in the church angry. He refused to give communion to some just because they didn't tell him they were coming. <laughs> he made some mistakes, yes. But either way, uh, he tucked his tail and headed back to England. And he wrote in his diary... I came to convert the Indians. Oh, but who will convert me? As he went back home to England, he wanted to check into these Moravians. He first stopped to see his dad, who was about to pass away, and he was afraid that his dad was going to ask him to start pastoring the church that he had pastored for so long. When he went in to see his dad, his dad said something very unexpected to him. He said, son, look to the inner witness. It's the only way you can tell if you're a true Christian. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. John was a little baffled about this. One night, John uh, attended a Bible study. Well, let me say before he attends the Bible study, he took a walk with one of these Moravian Christians that I was telling you about a minute ago. And the guy asked him if he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And John sat there silent. And finally the guy says, hey, do you know Jesus? And John says, I know that he is the Savior of the world. He says, but do you know that he has saved you? John didn't know that. Matter of fact, it was this conversation that he had with this fellow Christian that brought John to a point of realization that he wasn't a Christian and that he hadn't ever trusted Jesus. He hadn't ever asked for salvation. He has been raised in church. Daddy was a preacher. John was through Bible college, through seminary, ordained, and he was lost. He had never met the Lord, never had a, a personal encounter or relationship with Jesus. And one night at a Bible study, John's listening to Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans, and I just have to think it was boring, personally. But he was listening to what was being read, and about what God does through faith to the heart John was saved in that Bible study. John came out of that Bible study on fire, if you will. And he began to preach about the new birth, being reborn. And the people of England would not have it. And they closed every pulpit to him and would not allow him to preach. But God opened another door for John a door to come back to America and to preach not in buildings, but outside. It's what they called open-air meetings, and it's what we know as the first Great Awakening, where literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ during those times. We're in Acts chapter 19. We'll cover the first seven verses this morning. Let me read to you. While Apollos was in Corinth... Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then with what baptism were you baptized, he asked them. With John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this... They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak with other languages and to prophesy. Now, there were about 12 men in all. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the day, and we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, God, I pray that through your word and through your spirit, you'll speak to our hearts. Uh, God, I pray that you'll overcome the limitations of your speaker this morning. And I pray that you will say things to the hearts of uh, each and every individual who's here this morning, um, whether they're in this room or whether they're listening online. Uh, God, we just ask you to do big things. We trust you for it, and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. In this passage this morning, we have a couple of geographical locations. Um, and it's just mentioned in passing, so I'll just mention them in passing as well. But we have Corinth, and we should be a little bit familiar with that through the, the first and second book 
of Corinthians in the scripture. Um, but the thing that I personally think of whenever I think of the city of Corinth was about the goddess of, of Aphrodite. And uh, not so much her, but the temple itself housed a, a thousand cult prostitutes. Uh, this place was notoriously corrupt, even among the pagan nations uh, that were around it. Um, we also talk about the city of Ephesus. This city also had something similar um, to what Corinth had. Most of the cities around did. Uh, Ephesus housed Artemis, or Diana as she's also known. Um, this place was known not just for its prostitution, but also for its gambling. And the temple of uh, Artemis, or Diana, uh, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 300 feet long, 150 feet wide, had marble columns, 40 feet tall. So if you're trying to get a picture of how big that is, it's a football field. That's how big the temple was in this city. So when you come to things that are large like that in the cities, it kind of makes you realize what the city focuses on, what the city centers upon. And in this case, with prostitution and gambling being such a large part of the city, you can imagine how tough it was to be in this place, specifically to be a Christian in this place. Um, as we keep reading, we find a name, Apollos. Uh, Apollos is someone that we know very little about in Scripture, but his story, what we do know, is fascinating. This guy was a Jew, and he was a preacher. And he came through preaching about the Messiah. So he was preaching about Jesus, and he was telling them about Jesus' coming. The Scripture says that he was eloquent, which means that um, he was very persuasive, in his speech, in his sermons, if you will. But there was a, a couple of other Christians named Priscilla and Aquila that heard him speak. And as he was preaching, really preaching the word, driving it home, doing a good job, they realized, they being Priscilla and Aquila, they realized that something was missing about his message. So while Apollos is evangelizing, Priscilla and Aquila are off to the side listening to the things that he's saying. And he's not saying anything incorrect. He's just got an incomplete message, if you will. So after his sermon, luckily they didn't stand up and say, Ah, you're wrong. After his message, they pulled him aside. Maybe, uh, maybe it was at the synagogue that they were at, or maybe they took him to dinner. Um, either way, they sat down with him. And they evangelized the evangelist. They shared the gospel with Apollos. I can imagine them saying that was a really good sermon. I appreciate you doing that. He says, thank you. Have you heard of Jesus? Have you heard about the cross, the crucifixion? Have you heard about the resurrection? Priscilla and Aquila sat down with the preacher and explained the gospel and told him that Jesus had already come, that he had died on the cross, and that God had raised him from the dead. Upon hearing this, Apollos, the preacher, gets saved. 
I don't know what the deal is this morning with all these preachers who are getting saved. But I want you to notice something. Just because you've been in church all of your life, that does not make you a Christian. It doesn't make you saved. Just because your daddy's a preacher, your mama's a teacher, or maybe, a, you, maybe your daddy's a deacon, maybe, you know, you've been in church your entire life, that does not make you saved. It doesn't make you a Christian at all. So Apollos, here's the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the message about Jesus. Uh, that same chapter, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So, while Apollos was evangelizing and teaching in the synagogue, Priscilla and Aquila evangelized more on a personal level, a two-way conversation where you actually engage with the person. But they shared the gospel with someone who already believed in God, who was already preaching God's word. They shared Jesus with them, and this resulted in his salvation. Scripture tells us that he goes on. Uh, the passage before this tells us that he goes on, and he begins to preach in other areas. So we come to the point in our passage today where the Apostle Paul is in Ephesus. The big, godless city, in my mind. Tons of prostitution and gambling. Paul comes to the interior regions, and he finds a group of men who are disciples. Now, I looked up the word disciple in all of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts. Every single time the word is used, it refers to Christians, people who follow Jesus, right? Every single time. In my mind, there's no doubt that when Luke calls these guys disciples, he means that they are disciples of Christ, right? They, they call themselves Christians in our age, all right? They're believers, if you will, okay? Now, there's a few details that are not in this story, obviously. So we have to kind of fill in the blanks just a little bit, if you will. And you got to be careful with this. And this is just how I picture it, okay? This is just how I picture it. Paul walks in to Chick-fil-A. There's a big group of people right in the middle, right? Chick-fil-A is always busy. I was there yesterday. You know the people that stand outside and take your orders while you're driving through? There was people inside taking orders in the line because they couldn't get them through quick enough, right? Paul walks in. This place is hopping, and he sees a seat over with a group of people. He goes over, and he asks if he can sit down with them, and they say, yeah, sure, of course, have a seat. So he sits down, and he's just being observant at this point. And he notices an Ephesus Baptist church shirt sign, you know, 
Guys wearing FBC more, another one FBC, OKC, and some of them have got scriptures tattooed on their arms, and you know, they've got the bumper stickers, they've got the, like, these, these dudes are religious, right? These guys are total Christians. You can tell just by looking, because that's how you can tell if you're a Christian, right? You can tell by looking. So Paul asks him, he says uh, something, something very strange. He says, um, you guys believers? They're like, yeah, of course we're believers. Got the shirt, the hat, you know, the bumper sticker. Yeah, we're believers. And I'm going to time out for just a second. In my mind, if you ask these guys, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? You would get yes all the way across the board. All 12 of, 12 of them at this point are going to tell you absolutely I'm on my way to heaven. Now let's go back to the story. The Apostle Paul asks them this extremely strange question. It's bold evangelism, if you will, and it's blunt. And he says, hey, uh, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? See, I think the Apostle Paul observed for a little bit before he said anything. My question to this text is, what did these guys do that caused Paul to ask them if they had received the Holy Spirit? It's, it's my opinion, it's my perspective, that these guys were acting in a way that didn't bring honor to the name of Jesus, if you will. Uh, I'm not sure if it was like their language, their locker room talk, if you will. Uh, I, I figure, you know, there was something wrong with what they were saying. Maybe they were being rude to each other. Maybe they were being rude, you know, uh, to the nice little lady that comes by and takes your trash or asks you if you want to refill. Maybe it was the things um, that they were saying about the people around them. By this time, you know, he's, he's been there long enough to get all their names and to check them out on Twitter and Facebook. He's friended them, you know, he's got their names and Snapchat WhatsApp and all those good things, and he's scrolling down, and I'm thinking, hmm, okay, yeah. He was at the casino today. He's prostitutes on both sides of his arms. Huh, this is odd. That's not how Christians act. Um, so he asked them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And they answer him and say, what? We didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. In my mind, it's not impossible, but it's a little tough to be a Christian and not have heard about the Holy Spirit, not know about the Holy Spirit, right? It's not impossible. Don't get me wrong. But there's something wrong with that picture. Can everybody agree with me there? There's something wrong with that picture. Notice what Paul does. You haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. Then what baptism were you baptized with? I think it's fascinating that he went to baptism. Totally not the route I would have went. I think we misunderstand baptism at times. Paul says, and what baptism were you baptized with? And they said, well, with John's. 
John the Baptist, you know, we're baptized with his baptism. Baptism is identification, right? You are identifying with Christ in baptism. These guys had been baptized, but they had been baptized to identify with John the Baptist. Paul at this point says, and this is where I think they weren't even good disciples of John the Baptist. Paul says, John baptized a baptism of repentance. By the way, are we all on the same page with repentance? Do do we all know what that means? So when John asked them to repent, some of the folks said, what do we do? John said, if you have two shirts, share with your neighbor. If you have plenty of food, Share with your neighbor. By the way, tax collectors, stop stealing money from your own people. Soldiers, stop taking money by force. Believe in Jesus. This is what John told the people. Repent. It's it's a twofold kind of thing, if you will. Metaneo is the Greek word. Meta means change, right? Change. It's our, part of our word for metamorphosis, but it literally means change. So the Billy Graham version is to be going this way and to stop and turn around and go the other way. John told them, quit lying, quit stealing, quit being stingy. And he told them to produce fruits in accordance with repentance and to believe In Jesus, the one who was going to come after him. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So it's hard for me to see these guys are disciples of John the Baptist who didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. That was part of his message. But there's one other little thing that sometimes I think we miss out on John's message. When he looked at the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, he said something very, very interesting to that particular group of people. He told them to start producing fruit that was in accordance with repentance. And by the way, stop saying to yourself, Abraham is our father. We have a free ticket into heaven. To put that in our terms today, stop saying my daddy's a deacon. I'm on my way to heaven. My daddy's the pastor. I'm on my way to heaven. You should see all my mama does. For the church. It does not work that way. I'm kind of removed from that ideology, if you will. But back in October, uh, very first week of October, my dad passed away. And I could not get it off of my mind. Um, it was uh, it's tough, very, very tough. But I needed something else to focus on. And I said, Lord, please give me something else to focus on that I can think. And the Lord's like, when's the last time you led somebody to Christ? That's for another time. But I began to pray that the Lord would use me to lead somebody to Jesus. My dad died on the 8th. On the 15th, I was at work. And 
one of my friends that I've worked around for 15 years was there. And uh, he began to tell me about his father-in-law who had passed away the week before. You know, the last thing I wanted to talk about was somebody that lost their father. That's the last thing I wanted to talk about. But I went with it. And I began to listen to the things that he said. And I began to listen to the things that he said he wanted when he died. He wants this big three-day-long funeral. He wants everybody to cry, talk about all the good things that he did, all this stuff. This guy's a nut. You just have to bear with me here with this story. So either way, he, uh, in the course of this, I said, Wes, we've talked about this before. You'll have to forgive me, but are you saved? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. And we continue to talk about how he wants his funeral to go, right? And then uh, he, he kind of caps all this off with, well, at least um, I hope I make it in. I hope I know enough people like you to get me in there. I hope all the work that I've done for these churches through the years for free is enough to get me in there. At least I hope that's the way that it works. I said, Wes, I hope it's not the way that it works. And he stopped, and he got real serious for a minute, and he just looked at me. I said, if that's the way that it works, it was pointless for Jesus to come and die on a cross for your sins and for mine. He says, I guess you're right. Now, I know Wes's background. He was raised in a Catholic school. He's not been much of a churchy guy, if you will. But he knows the gospel, and he knows it well. After I heard him say, I hope I make it. I hope I know enough of you preachers, you know, those who are close to God. I hope I know enough of you to make it. I realized I was not talking to a saved individual at this point. And I kind of wiped the slate clean, if you will. And I said, hey, Wes, have you ever prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior? Keep in mind, this is the guy that just told me he was saved. He said, no, I have never done that. He said, I've come close several times, but I haven't. So like inside, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. The Lord has brought me a divine appointment, and I know it at this point right? He's getting a little unedgy, and he's starting to mess his job up. He's starting to screw things up bad, right? I, like, we're, it's, it's done in my mind. Not in his so much, but either way, I kept on, and I seen him start messing up tile, and I said, look, we're going back off of this for just a little bit. When you get finished with that, let's finish this conversation. He says, okay. So, to, to finish the conversation, I met him out on the porch. Everybody else was inside or on the other side of the house, and I said, Wes, do you want to pray to receive Jesus today? And he looked, and he thought about it for just a minute. He said, I can't see any reason why not. I said, would you like to pray your own prayer, or would you like me to lead you in a prayer? He said, I'd, I'd rather you led me in this prayer. And I said, okay. And I took him by the hand. And I led him in a prayer of salvation. And when he said amen and opened his eyes, he smiled and he said, 
that feels good. I said, that is the Holy Spirit. You see, nobody told me that whenever I got saved. And it took many years before I picked up the scriptures to read for myself and to find out about my own faith and to find out about the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul shares the gospel with these guys. And he tells them, John the Baptist's baptism is not salvation. John told you to believe in the one who was to come. That is in Jesus. Remember, the foundation's already laid. These guys already believe in God. They already were looking for the Messiah, the one to come. Remember, there's, there's one major key, one major role that you play in the salvation of the people around you. And it's your mouth. Faith comes by hearing, and that through the message of Jesus. That's Romans 10, 17. So it is your job to share the scriptures with those around you. The scripture says, Upon hearing the message about Jesus, once again, we don't have all the details to the story, but upon hearing the message about Jesus, they received the message, they received Christ, received him enough to go and get baptized, right? Because that's, that's how it works. Evangelism, salvation, baptism. But then as they go and they get baptized, this strange thing happens. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues, that we call them, in other languages, and they began to prophesy. They began to speak the praises of God, if you will. Now, I remember the first time I read through the Scriptures, and I came to this particular passage, and it troubled me. I didn't speak in tongues or prophesy when I prayed to receive Christ. So that bothered me. So I got to looking through the scriptures, and I find that the overwhelming majority of the people in the scriptures did not speak in tongues or prophesy when they prayed to receive Christ, right? So... I got saved, continued to go to church, but I didn't read my Bible. I didn't do much more than just show up on Sunday morning and then go home. That was pretty much my walk at the time, my Christian life. And I was very ignorant, if you will, to the scriptures and to how things work. So whenever something troubles me, I can't just leave it alone. I have to dig and pick it up and find out if I made a mistake, uh, if I did something wrong. And if these guys received the Holy Spirit at salvation, I didn't know if I had the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a problem if you don't know if you have the Holy Spirit. Because the Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, that is the one way that you know that you're saved, right? Right? 
is by the Spirit that He has put inside of us. So, once again, I kind of, whatever, call me a nerd, whatever you want. Uh, I got a concordance. A concordance allows you to look at one word in every place it's used in all of Scripture. It gives you the definition to the word, and it allows you to see where it's used, how it's used, and how often it's used, right? So I started looking up the word spirit, specifically the Holy Spirit. And that's when I found out there's a reason Paul asked if they received the Holy Spirit when they believed. Because if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you don't belong to Christ. But if you want to know that you're saved... It's not because you go to church. It's not because daddy's a preacher. It's not because fill in the blank. If you call upon the name of the Lord, if you get saved, as we call it, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he shows up in your life in many different ways. So I'd like to shift the focus from the guys who prayed to receive Christ and began to speak in tongues and prophesy to what Paul told the church at Galatian about the fruits of the Spirit. We find them in Galatians chapter 5. I hope you've heard about the fruits of the Spirit. I hope that this is a list that you uh, read often, look at, and make sure that uh, this is part of your life. Let me read two verses to you. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruits of the Spirit are love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me tell you, love, joy, and peace. The day I prayed to receive Christ in my own living room, joy literally entered my body and landed on my face. I smiled for three days straight. I begin to wonder if the smile was ever going to go away upon praying to receive Christ. I felt a love that I'd never felt before in my life. Not just a love from God to me, but a love for those who are around me. At that particular time, it was those who were like me, if you will, those who knew what it meant to be saved, those who were Christians. Now that love continues to spread day in and day out because God's given me a burden for the lost. I still love you, don't get me wrong. But he's given me a love to chase after those who haven't heard, who haven't had the chance to accept him. Peace Man, the day I received Christ, I knew what peace was. There was a burden lifted off of my shoulders that I didn't even know was there. It was unbelievable. Patience, well, we're still working on that one. <laughs> but I have more now than I did when I started. Kindness. We're still working on that one. But I'm much better now than I was then. Goodness, faithfulness, yeah, these are part of my daily walk. 
with the Lord. It's mainly his goodness that comes to me and, and comes out. It's, it's, it's not mine, trust me. Faithfulness, isn't that what we all want to be as followers of Jesus? Faithful? Gentle, just like Priscilla and Aquila were with Apollos, the preacher who needed to get saved. Same thing with Paul as he's talking to the 12 men who think they're Christians, but they're not. Now, the last one that I've listed is self-control. Do you have self-control? Let me break it down for you this way. This is the way that I see it. How is your behavior? Is it unrestrained? Is it ungodly? Are you doing what you want to do? Or are you following Christ? See, sometimes I don't see things the way I ought to, which is through the lens of Christ. On a daily basis, I exercise self-control by following our Savior. Now, the Scripture also tells us that those who follow, those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us. Matter of fact, let me just, let me just tell you a, a few things in passing, what he does. He comes along beside us to help. He points us to Jesus. He lives in us. He remains in us. He convicts us. He renews and regenerates us. He seals us. He fills us. He gives us assurance. He testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. He is our power. He produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is what I just read to you. He intercedes for us. Let me tell you that it's impossible for the Spirit of the living God to come inside of you and you not change. It's impossible. Since you have received Christ... Is there a change in your life? Are you getting closer to the Savior, I'll call it? Are you working on those fruits of the Spirit? Do you see those in the workings of your life? The big one is are you following God through the Holy Spirit? Do you have any conviction when you sin? Because if you don't, that's a huge problem. Luckily, the Holy Spirit is uh, certainly not all a, a negative. Uh, matter of fact, he's mostly a positive. The interaction that we have with God through the Spirit is positive things. It should reassure you whenever you have conviction. Remember that Hebrews tells us that God disciplines his children. So if he doesn't discipline you, Scripture says that you're not his. Now, 
This morning, as we move to the time of invitation, I want to ask you a few questions. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've prayed to receive Christ? We call it repentance. We call it calling upon the name of the Lord. Repentance is simply a change of mind that results in different actions, but it literally is a change of mind. How does that work? You stop trusting in yourself and in your family members to get you to heaven, and you place that trust into Jesus. You ask him to forgive you. You ask him to come inside of you, and you ask him to lead you. It's that simple. Now, I wonder, would everybody just bow their heads for just a moment? Bow your heads with me, and close your eyes, and I want you to think for just a minute about what's been said. I pray and I trust that the Holy Spirit has spoke to you this morning. And if you know that you've never prayed to receive him before, but you'd like to pray to receive Jesus this morning, I'd like for you to just lift up your hand and then put it back down. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ, just raise your hand and put it back down. Now for the rest of us, Maybe the Spirit spoke to you about uh, some of your behavior. Maybe, maybe we've acted like those guys in the uh, Chick-fil-A story this morning. Maybe uh, times have been tough, and we've just acted a little out of character. I want you just to acknowledge that to the Spirit. Ask Him for forgiveness. And ask him to lead you. Now for the church, I'd like to ask you to commit in 2020 to sharing the gospel with your friends and your family and your neighbors. What I would like for all of us to do is to commit to sharing the gospel with one person a week. That may be asking a bit much for some. Maybe for some of us, we just need to commit to share with one a month. But what this should result in is us praying about it, that God would give us boldness to share the gospel, and that God would give us those divine appointments and trust that the people that he brings in front of us are the ones that he wants us to share with. We're going to have... A song of invitation and if you've made a decision we'd love if you'd come forward and share that with us and if you need somebody to pray with you please come forward we'd love to pray with you Father this is your time and this is your place we pray that you would have your way and we pray it in Jesus name Amen